0: and welcome to another episode of FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. I'm your host, Aaron White, and man, am I happy to be here this week with you guys, ready to talk about a new film from a director that I've had a pretty mixed relationship with the last several films that he's put out. Before we get to that, though, I thought I would kind of catch everybody up on what I've been up to. This may or may not be some sort of like a segment that I continue. I'm not sure. Sometimes I might have something to talk about. Sometimes I might not. But I have been really enjoying something I just wanted to share. I like erotic thrillers quite a bit. One of my favorite genres, maybe it's because I grew up in a time when it was really the heyday for erotic thrillers around the 80s and into the 90s when I was a teen. Obviously, I liked them probably for a little bit different reasons than I might now respect them more as an adult than I did back then as a teenager who really just wanted to see as much skin as possible let's be real but now I understand the importance of the genre I understand like the things that the genre can tell us about ourselves and I love the stories the thrillers the twisty nature of them the way that they weaponize sex at times and can use it as something To not necessarily always be a positive thing, but also to kind of take into question how we view sex and what our morality is around different forms of sex and the people who engage in it in different ways. And so, yeah, I really just enjoy this kind of film. And so I had just canceled my Criterion collection or my Criterion channel subscription about two months ago. And sure enough, they announced in April that they're going to have this specific erotic thriller collection. I was like, oh my gosh, why are you doing this to me? Like, of course, I just canceled. So I resubbed for at least a month to go through some of these movies. And I've been doing that and having a really good time trying to kind of just broaden my horizons. I've seen most of the big ticket erotic thrillers that have come out, the ones that everybody knows for sure. And many of them are also in this Criterion collection that's on the channel. But there are some that I had never even heard of. And then there are others that I've always wanted to get to. And so I've done that. So a couple quick thoughts on these. For the most part, I've really enjoyed everything that they selected to be in this collection, I watched Dress to Kill, which was a 1980 flick. This one is probably remembered by those who've seen it for its problematic gender and racial stereotypes, specifically around a transsexual character. But I really enjoyed it. I thought that the commitment to a very silly mystery and the sexiness of it work because De Palma crafts a really captivating movie with his visual style. And it pretty much plays out like a remake of Psycho that's way better than the actual Psycho remake. So I I recommend it for sure. The next one I watched was a 1984 film called Crimes of Passion. Did not like this at all. I found it to be completely sleazy, but never erotic and just not at all entertaining. There were a scene or two that I kind of liked a little bit, but for the most part, this whole movie was just on a wavelength that I really could not tune into and was not vibing with. (laughs) So not my style. The next one I watched was a 1987 one called The Bedroom Window, which... I don't necessarily think falls into the erotic thriller category, to be honest with you, because it's really almost like a riff on Rear Window from Hitchcock. It's really more of a specific thriller and mystery kind of movie. It's not got the sort of excitement that most thrillers do, and it definitely doesn't have any eroticism. So it just doesn't feel like it fits here. There's only like one real sex scene in the movie, and that's at the beginning. So It's interesting. I really liked the story, though. It is about this guy and he's having an affair with his boss's wife and she sees an assault take place outside of the window while she's staying over having an affair with him that night. And then this person that had assaulted this woman allegedly goes on to assault, murder, rape someone else later that evening that they find out about. And so they feel compelled to come forward. And I think that that's a very realistic thing. It it was relatable. Something that I think anyone in this situation would struggle with is, should I go to the police? Should I find a way to give my visual understanding of what this person looked like to help you catch him to prevent further assaults and further crimes to be perpetrated by him? Or do I keep that information to myself knowing that others might get hurt? because I need to protect the fact that I was having an affair. And so what they choose to do is the man basically lies and says that he's the one that saw the assault occur instead of the woman. And from there, that one little lie just starts cascading, as you would imagine. It becomes a snowball effect. And it's really, really compelling. I I was captivated by this the whole time. And it has a really fun surprise Wallace Shawn appearance also as an attorney that just knocked my socks off. He steals the show for a couple of minutes while he's in the movie. So I recommend The Bedroom Window. It was a really cool discovery. Another one I watched was Jade. This one has been much maligned. This is a 1995 film. And I think this could have been a lot sexier. There's apparently a director's cut and I would actually like to see it. But Linda Fiorentino, to her credit, it elevates this movie above what the script gives her to work with. She is fantastic in pretty much everything, but specifically in this genre, I think she really works. This is a William Friedkin movie, which is really weird, but it does have some of the vibes of like something like The Exorcist. I think it has like a grainy look to it. I really enjoyed the cinematography and the way it was shot, and It's got this grimy feel, uh, murdered bodies. There is a serious violence and brutality to them when you see them on screen. There's uh, definitely an aspect of the story that is intriguing with this call girl who goes by the the code name, if you will, of Jade and a question about who she is. I think the movie doesn't really hide its cards well and so you pretty much know who that is right off the bat and it doesn't it wants to be a mystery but it's not and then it kind of is equal parts just incredible and ridiculous at times there's a really cool car chase and I thought it was a decent movie up until the ending which was pretty much a wimpy kind of uh I don't know, felt like they were trying to have this big reveal and surprise, but you saw it coming a mile away. And so it wasn't very satisfying in that way, but I liked the movie overall. So I definitely want to check out that director's cut and see if that enhances it. Cause I saw some, some good bones here, even if the entire project didn't turn into anything great. And the last one I want to talk about is Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy. This stars Drew Barrymore and I have long heard people make fun of this movie but I also know a lot of people who used to rewatch it a ton when they were in high school and I figured that was because you know 17-year-old Drew Barrymore were all like you know going gaga over her being in something like an erotic thriller this one worked for me big time all the way I thought this is a fantastic movie that is far better than its reputation and I love practically everything about it. It's got an, an awesome vibe to it. It's very 90s. It's very overly melodramatic, but in the best way, it's seductive. It's pulpy, kind of like Wild Things is. I think the cinematography and the use of music are both fantastic. There's a real artfulness about it that goes beyond the sleaziness that sometimes you get in this genre. And so it's not Totally trashy. And I, I think a lot of that comes from having a female director behind the helm. It never felt to me like we were being stuck with a male gaze. There was a respectfulness and a, for the beauty of the female figure and the characters in this. And it's just a really intriguing story about female jealousy, about buying friendship, and about loneliness and what that can lead you to want to do. Uh, and it's very mysterious as well. I thought it was really, really good. A movie I want to own and I want to watch again and again. So that's kind of my quick-ish recap of some of the stuff I've been watching recently. Again, I don't know if I'll do this segment all the time, but I just thought I'd put this out there in case anyone was curious and, you know, maybe somebody also is into Erotic thrillers and didn't know that Criterion had this collection on their channel right now. And you might want to go try to get through them all as well, like I am. Trying to do. If you follow me on Letterboxd under the username at Aaron L White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L W-H-I-T-E, I will be posting my final ranked list of all of the ones in this collection that they have once I'm done. I have the list already up now, and it's kind of an ongoing ranking, but if you want to see it once the month ends and I've watched all of them, feel free to check that out. Okay, on to today's review. So I'm here to talk about Guy Ritchie's *The Covenant* from Metro Goldwyn Mayer. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Dar Salim, Alexander Ludwig, Anthony Starr, and Emily Beecham. By the way, does anyone else get Alexander Ludwig and Alexander Skarsgård confused? I know I did. When I watched him in this film for the longest time, I thought it was Alexander Skarsgård, and I was surprised when I didn't see him in the cast list. Anyway. This is written and directed by Guy Ritchie, also co-written by Ivan Atkinson and Marn Davies. Cinematography is by Ed Wilde, and music is by Christopher Benstead. It runs 123 minutes and is rated R for violence, language throughout, and brief drug content. What's it about? After an ambush, Afghan interpreter Ahmed goes to Herculean Lynx to save U.S. Army Sergeant John Kinley's life. When Kinley learns that Ahmed and his family were not given safe passage to America as promised, he must repay his debt by returning to the war zone to retrieve them before the Taliban hunts them down. All right, first and foremost, I want to say we need to stop this dumb trend of putting a director's name in the movie title. It's ridiculous. Stop it. I'm tired of writing Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. I'm tired of saying Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. It doesn't even sound good. It doesn't make sense because it sounds like Guy Ritchie is the one with the covenant, but he's not. It's the characters that have the covenant. So we should just call this movie The Covenant, not Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. It's a a very egotistical thing when directors do this that I will never, ever agree with. Like, let your movie stand for itself. You don't need to put your name in the title in this way. It just feels like, overcompensating and frankly it's a little understandable once we get into this and also with some of the misses that Richie has had over the years that go with his hits like he's he's had an up and down career to be blunt about it so this movie opens with a five minute intro to the squad scene that really sets it off on a little bit of a bad foot They make a specific effort to show us everyone's name and their nicknames, like every single character has a nickname and they always call them by those nicknames, which feels pretty forced. It's a typical American military trope that people in a war zone would have these nicknames. I think it's more in use when you have special operators that are going by these names and these aren't really special operators to my knowledge they're just a marine unit so I don't know it's uh, like I said I don't mind it so much if the characters are well defined if they each have their own unique role in the film and in the unit but I didn't get that here pretty much everybody is disposable you don't get to know anybody on a personal level, outside of John Kinley, the guy played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and the interpreter. And so for you to try and force a nickname on us, it, it just didn't really connect with me. And it's a trend throughout this film that Guy Ritchie starts doing, where he puts text on the screen. And my God, I wish this would stop too, because it was so annoying. It started with the nicknames, and then later in the film every time they would use an acronym. So for example, Jake Gyllenhaal might be saying, we're an IED squad. And really quickly when he says that on the screen in big letters would flash across the screen what IED stands for. And then, you know, somewhere, someone else said something about uh, QRF and on the screen it flashes off quick reaction force. But there's no explanation of it. So it's just telling you what the acronym stands for but not fully explaining what it is and it just it was really out of place it took me out of the movie that was the thing is it interrupted my connection to the scene because now I'm thinking about the fact that you're putting text on the screen and then at the end of the film maybe the worst example is as the credits are about to roll it flashes the Covenant. And then it puts text all over the screen as if it was like a dictionary entry. And it says a vow, a commitment, a bond. And then it like outlines what the definition of a covenant is. And it's just, it's so over the top. It's so forced and it doesn't feel like it trusts the audience to do any work. All the way down from the nicknames to the acronym explanations to the definition of a covenant. It just doesn't let you feel like you're intelligent enough to get it. It feels like it's trying to force feed these things to you as if you were dumb. And I over overkill, big time for me. Structure of the movie is about one hour and 15 minutes. So over half the movie set in Afghanistan, building up to and executing on Ahmed's incredible act to save Kinley where they are in a firefight and they have to go on the run from the Taliban across these mountains. And he just refuses to leave Kinley, refuses to let him die and ends up getting him back to safety, but not totally intact. He's definitely worse for the wear. And then we spend about 20 minutes back home with Kinley recovering and going through PTSD and being very emo. And then another 20 minutes or so of Kinley trying to Extract Ahmed and his family before the Taliban kills them on a ticking clock. Everything is heightened at that point. I find this to be a weirdly paced movie. It feels super long, even for two hours. Like you are watching it and you're looking at your clock, going, or your watch, whatever, going, man, how long have I been watching this? Because the film is all about the covenant between these two characters. It's all about one saving one. And then the other one trying to repay that debt. But when 70 or 60% of the movie is based on one of that and only 20% is based on the other retroactive save attempt, it just doesn't feel equal. I mean, it's not equal. So it doesn't feel that way. And so the the climactic act of Kinley going back to try and save his friend, the interpreter, I don't even know if you call him his friend, but his interpreter, it's rushed and I think unrealistic in a lot of ways. Also because Ahmed has been on the run for a long time after he has saved Kinley, that he's got a big time bounty on his head from the Taliban. And and so there's this short fuse ticking clock that they have to outrun, but you would think that it wouldn't come to that, like it would have already been handled before this. Narrative, like in a realistic situation. Jake Gyllenhaal, always a standout from an acting standpoint. You can just put the camera up close and let that man exhibit emotions, and it will always be captivating. He is great at emotional acting and at freakouts and at being gruff with his facial expressions instead of using words. And he plays a great, strong military leader here. Dar Salim is equally outstanding as Ahmed, the interpreter. He does a lot of work with his facial expressions as well. Definitely does not speak a lot. He is a man of few words, but strong character. He believes in trust. He believes in giving it and expecting it in return. He is not swayed in his convictions. And he is serving as an interpreter because he hates the Taliban who killed his son, and his goal is to earn visas that have been promised to them so that he can take his family to America and be safe. So you can imagine why Kinley would be upset when that doesn't go down the way that it's supposed to. And so now he feels obligated to go and fulfill that debt that was promised to Ahmed and his family and ensure that they are out of the reach of the Taliban. That's the goal. The action in this movie is great. This is where Richie always excels. He knows how to shoot it, pun intended. It's super kinetic and there are some awesome overhead camera shots of battle scenes and a few moments where he uses military equipment views like showing us a camera shot through a scope or of a targeting radar. It's always great. It's the best part of this. There's a lot less action fighting than you might suspect, but it is pretty riveting throughout because of the multiple rescue attempts that are mixed in there with the gunfights. It is an agonizing trip through the mountains that Ahmed takes to save Kinley. And I loved it. It's a powerful tale of two men just doing the right thing, not necessarily because they're personally close. And I think that that sets this part from other movies and other stories. This is one about duty, honor, and human decency, not Because they have a connection to each other where they value each other more than someone else in their life necessarily. It is about seeing someone as having value simply because they exist. And the fact that someone was willing to risk their life for you, even though they're not close to you, is something that you need to be willing to repay. I also really enjoyed the score by Christopher Benstead. It's high energy. As the movie is, and I could feel it. It's pretty powerful. If it wasn't for the score, I think that the pacing problem would stand out even more than it already does. So it kind of brings this back up a notch after having a real issue with the pacing. And then my biggest problem with Guy Ritchie's The Covenant is that I'm not sure what the movie is saying is good. It's a fictional story. So this is not a biopic. This didn't actually. Happen. But it's clear that Richie has the intent of trying to pay homage to the importance of the Afghan interpreters. He has a respect for them and many of them who lost their lives and lost so much, even though we used them and made these promises to them, the U.S. being we. But they are making this Afghan interpreter into a superhuman here because the act that he accomplishes is so above and beyond that you would almost think that this was someone trying to show a true life story, but it's not. And it's the act that makes him worth that special attempt at saving later. And we don't do this. This is not something that happened again. So this is not the American military writing an actual wrong. It's a romantic view of how we should have treated people. It's a romantic view about how we should have Respected those who helped us in Afghanistan and not just reserved it for one who does something unbelievably above and beyond by saving an American's life. Like they were promised protection and visas for doing their job. This was not just the job, this was something extra. But we're romanticizing him getting this extra attempt at a, a life-saving treatment but it's again it's because of this special thing he did when shouldn't he have just deserved that for simply being an interpreter in the first place because that's what we promised him and so i'm very mixed on what the goal of this is from kind of a an overview of a political like looking at the perspective of how the military in afghanistan interacted with each other but it's still an engaging story and I enjoyed it for the most part even if I do feel like overall Guy Ritchie is starting to come down for me Operation Fortune was not at all very good in my opinion and now this I think that he might have kind of peaked with Wrath of Man which I thought was a darn near just perfect kind of a heist film that is propulsive and really, really well paced. And then we get this. So I enjoyed getting a chance to see some military action and Jake Gyllenhaal and Dar Salim, for sure. I love the concept of this, even though I struggle with whether or not we should be portraying things in this way. So yeah, there it is. Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. This will be available in theaters on April 21st. Well, that's it for this week on FF+. Plus. Thanks for letting me ramble about the Criterion Channel's erotic thrillers. I hope you enjoyed that. Hopefully, my review of The Covenant will also help give you some information that will aid in your decision-making on whether or not you want to check this film out. If you do see it, please let me know. You can find me on any of the social media channels. They're all linked in the show notes to each and every episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love for you to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera wherever you may listen. Also, don't forget to check out the other great shows in our podcast network, The Now Playing Network. You can find all of those shows at nowplayingnetwork.net. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.